reads from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be, thy, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Good morning. I guess I can't hear you, but uh, thumbs up. You guys can hear me. Very good. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Um, it's amazing how good Zoom is and uh, to see faces and um, to remember that Jim Wildeman still remembers some of those early sermons and he'll still talk to me and be nice to me. That's just a wonderful thing. It was so good to see Jeannie Dinsmore this morning. Hi, Jeannie. And you other folks that we have begun to get to know. And um, it's, just, it's just wonderful to be here. Thank you uh, for inviting me. Um, just a, a quick update on my work with Training Leaders International. Of course, most of you know that um, we haven't been able to travel since March. I was, uh, came home early from a trip. I was in uh, went to Tanzania and then was in Liberia and was supposed to spend another week there, came home early, and we have not been able to travel since. Um, I've been doing some work on um, what they call professional development. I don't like to call it that, um, but um, so be it. But one of my projects was uh, prayer. And so I've been reading and developing a theology on prayer and reading the Psalms and reading books, and it's just been a wonderful thing. That's a little bit why I'll be talking to you um, um, today about the Lord's Prayer, um, actually hopefully preaching to you about the Lord's Prayer. And um, But just a little bit of an update, Training Leaders International, the group that I work for goes to foreign countries around the world, and we train pastors. Um, they, uh, 95% of the pastors in the world today, maybe 90%, have no training whatsoever. And so we go um, in, in non-formal settings, but also formal settings to train pastors to read the Bible, understand it, and preach it. And um, I have been working mostly in the non-formal side of um, our group, but because of the lack of the ability to travel, um, they have told us we can go for three months to countries. And so I have um, volunteered with the Vicky's Blessing to go to Liberia for three months, January, February, March. All of the details um, are almost all worked out. A couple more things that have to be decided. But I will be teaching uh, a class on First Samuel to our formal team, teaching Old Testament narrative to the formal side of um, what we do. There'll be about 20 students in Liberia. We've started a seminary there. 
and then also teaching courses one, two, and parts of three in our non-formal um, side, and then also introduction to the New Testament, the Gospels and Acts, um, also to the formal side, and helping with the library and doing some other things. So uh, Liberia is not the vacation spot of the world, but it's, uh, it's a needy part of the world. And if the Lord Jesus had no place to lay his head, I can, I can be in a tough place for three months and uh, hopefully helping the church and helping to plant churches and encourage pastors in the preaching of the word because we know that that's how people come to know him. That is the business of the church. The word is God speaking to us. And so um, it looks like uh, first part of January to the first part of April, I will be in Liberia. So I wanna thank you for your support and encouragement and the relationships that we have. It is uh, a very warm place in our hearts that is stoked whenever we have contact with anyone from the Lancaster Church. So it's just, it's just a little piece of heaven when we go to Lancaster and it is again this morning. So let me get on with the task before us, the blessing before us. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Father, we uh, thank you for the bonds of love that connect us together, especially with the church in Lancaster. Um, and Father, as we look at your word this morning, uh, we, we pray and ask you that you would please um, send your spirit to us. There are supernatural things that need to happen. And may the things that I say from your word be true and write, and may your spirit apply them to hearts and to minds and change lives. Um, we cannot do it by fancy words or stories or elocution or all those things that we rely on. We rely on you and uh, the understanding of your word through your servant. Father, please, please send your spirit. I additionally ask that you would Make everyone forget the things I say that are just not right. But remember and ponder. May your spirit work in hearts um, so that we become um, a powerful praying um, community uh, for the glory of your name and uh, for the good of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be um, speaking to you about prayer. Um, I'm going to look up every once in a while and look at faces so I can figure out. There we go. Changed my view. <laughs> it's good to see you. Um, when we talk about prayer and evangelism and Bible reading and all those kinds of things, usually we feel a tinge of guilt. And with evangelism, maybe a little more guilt um, than prayer, but probably uh, the same amount. Um, because we don't pray as much as we should. Almost everyone says that. Says that. I know I should pray more. Uh, I, I know that I, I need to keep those lists, and I heard all the stories about Wesley and Calvin and Luther and about their hours and hours in prayer, and that's just not me. And uh, let's, let's just be honest. After about three minutes, we get bored from praying by ourselves. When we go to church prayer meetings, sometimes, maybe it's not true at um, your church, but it's been my experience that many times people share 
for uh, most of the time, and then someone will say something like this, um, you know what, our time's almost up, we better pray. And then the leader or someone will say, hey, uh, John, what, would you pray for us? And he tries to cover things very quickly, and, and then you're done, and we call that our prayer meeting. Maybe it, in your setting, it's not quite that uh, severe, but uh, um, I'm seeing too many smiles out there to uh, think that some of you haven't experienced at least some of that. Um, sometimes we don't pray because we wonder if it works. You know, we pray for things and nothing happens. Um, or it's just boring. Um, when Before we came to Lancaster, we, my wife and I were in a little town in Northern California, Hayfork, and I remember a prayer meeting where we went to Lena Glass's house and all of us sat in this big circle and everybody shared prayer requests. And then we started around the circle. And of course the pastor has to pray last. And so um, they started praying and everybody prayed for every request. And about halfway around the circle, I went to sleep. Don't worry, this doesn't end as badly as it could have. And then about two people before me, I, I came back to life <laughs> and I was petrified. The, pat, the new pastor falls asleep at a prayer meeting. Um, anyway, I awakened in the nick of time, closed, closed the prayer meeting in prayer, of course, and then we went our merry way. Um, sometimes we don't pray in group settings because we're afraid of sounding that we're not sounding cool enough you know there's a prayer language we're not pentecostals at least some of you aren't i'm not um but we we have this prayer language that we use and and we're afraid that when we pray we're not going to sound uh very christian or very you know how that is um we 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 need to sound you know, get the these and the thous and our fathers and all that in. And so we're just afraid that we're not going to sound cool enough. Um, sometimes we don't pray, I think, because let's face it, most of our prayers are for sick people and for health concerns. And so we go to a prayer meeting or, or we're praying and we make a list of all the people that are sick and we pray for them. And um, I mean, God answers prayer and he heals sick people but most of the time he doesn't, or he uses natural means to heal them. Uh, sometimes there's a miraculous healing. I read about one this morning on one of the blog sites I follow, and we rejoice in that. And when Jesus was on earth, he healed, but any healings that are an answer to prayer um, are only temporary because uh, pretty much everybody dies. So if you get healed of cancer or something, and if God does that, you'll be completely healed, but then eventually you're going to die, maybe of cancer, maybe of heart, maybe of something else, but the statistics are fairly overwhelming. Even when God does heal in answer to prayer, which he does, but it's, it's not that common, frankly, um, you still die. Um, sometimes I think we don't pray because some people say, well, God is sovereign. What does it matter? I mean, if God has already, you know, we're, we're kind of semi-reformed or we've got some of that in our blood. I like to say I'm softly reformed, which I hopefully means that I'm reformed, but I'm nice about it. And I actually have some grace about my life. 
hopefully I'm overflowing with it since I'm the one that believes in it so much. Um, but um, God is sovereign. Why? What's the point? Um, well, oh, and one more, one more thing to the states. Do we really need to pray? I mean, we can, go to, we can go to Costco and get food. Why do we need to pray for our daily bread? The Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, we've got health insurance. We've got doctors. We've got... So, you know, in Liberia, it's, there's a little more passion for praying because, you know, the COVID that hit recently, um, a bunch of Sovereign Grace churches actually sent money because these guys were going to starve. Um, the government put everybody in their homes and said they couldn't go out and they couldn't go to the market. And what are you going to do? And um, I don't know how they worked it out, but the sovereign grace churches gave thousands of dollars. And these guys that are involved in our training program, they were able to feed their families and some of the people in the church too. So um, in the U S we, we pretty much, I mean, we're rich, we're filthy rich. We're we're opulently rich as, as far as the standards in the rest of the world. I mean, it, it doesn't take you long to be in Uganda or some of the countries we go to. And you, you guys have been to China. There's, there's places in China. It's, it's like day to day. Hopefully we, we have enough food. In the U.S., we, we typically don't have that problem. In fact, if, if you're on welfare in the United States, you're rich as far as the rest of the world goes. If you're on welfare, as far as the standard of living, you're, you're in the upper class. So here we are, we're in America, and we have all these um, issues with prayer. And so um, this, today, what I want to do is build a foundation for the Lord's Prayer. So we, we may talk about the Lord's Prayer a little bit in Matthew, as we read this morning from Matthew chapter 6, but we're going to lay a foundation for understanding the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer occurs in a context of the entire Bible. And um, I, I'm not assuming that Tim and others have not taught you these truths. But it, it seems like we, I need to re, be reminded of these truths. And um, they're spectacular things. These, these, these truths were going, seven things. We're going to build a foundation seven ways for understanding the Lord's Prayer. So if you're taking notes... We're going to get to number one fairly soon. But without these seven things, um, we, we can't really understand the Lord's Prayer in the way Jesus meant for us to understand it. And in, unless we are totally enamored and blown away by these things, we, we, we won't process them in the right kinds of ways. And what, what I like to tell people is that You need to be daily just frankly blown away by the fact that God saved you. It needs to send chills up your back. God saved Bob Burris. I mean, I know Bob, and, and, and I know I don't know myself as well as God knows me, but the things I know about myself, I just have to shudder in amazement that God saved me. And not only that he saved me, but that he keeps me saved. <laughs> because if it was left up to me, 
I would not be saved today. God had to grab me and hold me and, and hang on to me. And, and, and that must utterly amaze you on a daily basis. If that has become hackneyed or old to you, or you're just like, well, yeah, yeah, I prayed the prayer, you know, whatever. You, you need to ask yourself if you're really saved. <laughs> and, and, and that's not a mean thing to say, frankly, because the most amazing thing in this entire world, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that you know God and that he gave his only son to bring you to himself. You, you, didn't, you didn't decide that. You didn't one day, the light didn't go on and you go, oh yeah, wow, no. God set his heart on you from eternity past. And even though he knew that the utter depth of your wickedness and my wickedness, he still sent his son while we were enemies to save us. So none of this will make sense to you unless, unless you look at that, at it that way. And if what I'm saying to you now is like, yeah, 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 I just pray, say, Lord, you know what, I, I'm not getting it the way Bob's talking about it. Um, and, and I think Tim would, would agree. You know, I, I'm the guest here this morning, so run this all by Tim. You know, I'm going to say some stupid things. And he'll fix it later, but that's his job, not mine. <laughs> but just, just pray and say, Lord, move my heart, move my mind move my desires so that, that I am just, I'm transfixed on the fact that you saved me. Okay, let's go to our seven things. We're building a foundation for the Lord's Prayer here. Number one, I call it the meaning of everything. <laughs> the meaning of everything is that God has created this universe to glorify himself. Isaiah 43, 7. He created us. He created the universe. Everything that's happens and will happen as has happened and has been created and has been thought, God has designed this to bring glory to himself. He created you for the express purpose of bringing glory to himself. That's the meaning of everything. The lights that are on in your home, the computer that you're looking at, the babies that you're holding, the chair that you sit in, was created and exists to bring glory to God. Everything, everything is to bring glory to God. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me read for us, and we'll start with verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. That right there, you can impact that for years, the rest of your life. He works all things after the counsel of his will, all things, so that we, us, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He works all things after the counsel of his will. In other words, he wills all things that happen differently some ways than others, but he wills all things 
after the counsel of his will to bring glory to himself. And that's why you are alive and breathing and looking at your computer. And that's why you're here this morning to bring glory to him. And that's my, that's one of my goals this morning. And, and the next several weeks is at the end of the day, your whole life will be devoted to, and your prayer life will be devoted to bringing glory to him. First Corinthians 10 31. I'm going to turn there and read it from the ESV. Some of you probably have that same problem that I have. I, I use the New American Standard. Some of you may be the NIV for years. And now this newfangled ESV has come out and it's messed everything up. But that's what I use. It's a wonderful translation. Uh, so uh, this is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you read the Bible, whether you eat, as you're watching your, everything you do, you do for the purpose of glory, glorifying God, because that's why God created you. So the meaning of everything is to bring glory to God. And it's because God is. All right, number two. The primary way, the most effective way, the center, the most concentrated way that God glorifies himself is by reconciling the world to himself by King Jesus. So God created everything to bring glory to himself. So as you look at the sunrise, the sunset, the trees, the animals, as you look at all these things, it's, it's there to bring glory to God. But if you want to look at the most effective way, the most concentrated, the central way that God brings glory to himself is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to reconcile this world to himself. You can read all about it in Ezekiel 36. You can actually read all about it in all of the Bible because that is the great theme of the Bible. God reconciling the world to himself through King Jesus. The king came and he died and was buried, died for sin and rose again. And that is the most glorious thing about God. So that's number two. That's the second foundation. Tim has a lot more verses to help you with that. <laughs> didn't know, Tim didn't know I was going to give him all this work, but there you go. You know what? He's probably already taught you about all this. I'm just reminding you. <laughs> all right. Second, that was the second foundation. The third foundation. Jesus came to carry out God's plan to glorify himself. And it is a war. It was a war. It continues to be a war. We, uh, many people think the church is a cruise ship. You know, you get on the cruise ship, and my wife and I went on this Alaska cruise. It was incredible. They take your luggage. They make your food. Every meal is like off the charts great. You, the views, it's just like, wow, does it get any better? But what God has told us is that the church and the Christian life, it's, it's not a cruise ship. We are actually on a battleship. And there are battle stations for everyone on the battleship. Nobody just goes on the battleship in order to go to 
to eat and to go to see the movies and to do the entertainment. I mean, I, I guess battleships have some of that kind of stuff, not that much really. They do have food. They may have a place where the guys can go watch a movie every once in a while. I don't really know, but the church and the way we look at the Christian life, and by the way, as you look at the Christian life, you have to look at the Christian life as the church. God didn't create Lone Rangers. He, cre he, he saved you and placed you in the church, whether you want to be part of the church or not. If you're saved, you're in the church. And if you're saved, you love the church. If you don't love the church, you need to back up and ask yourself whether you're saved. Because saved people love other saved people. That's just the way it is. And that's what God has called us to do, to, to love each other. That, that's what it means to be an obedient Christian, to be a, a living, alive, working part of the church. We just love the church. I, when, when, when I stopped being a pastor, I didn't have a church for a couple months, and we were looking around, and I've never felt so lost and alone in my entire life. For the first time in my life, I didn't have a home church. I didn't have elders that were in charge of me. One of the most comforting things in my life, and we became members here as quickly as we could, is that I have a church and I have elders that tell me what to do. And I want to be told what to do. Uh, this thing with Liberia I'm doing, yes, Training Leaders International. But I went to my pastor and I said, is this okay? Can I do this? Is this fit with what you guys want me to do? And he said, yes, of course. But um, we're, we're far too arrogant as Americans thinking that, that we can just be on our own. We, we can't, be, I don't trust myself enough to not have elders. I, and, and I tell people, I'm not a pastor anymore because I'm not. But I have a pastor and I have elders and they know very well that I am submissive to them. And that was the greatest thing about becoming a member of, of, of our church. So we're at war. And because we're at war, we're, we're part of a battalion. We're part of a company. We're part of, uh, you know, and, and we join in and we go to war. It's not a cruise ship. You can, I, I mean, Ephesians chapter 6. He just, he, all, all the, the armor of the Christian. We're at war. Jesus was at war. And it doesn't mean there's not times of rejoicing and happiness, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but Paul plays, says it perfectly in um, 2 Corinthians 6. He says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We're sorrowful because we're at war and there's casualties and bad things happen and there's tough things to deal with, but we're always rejoicing because we have the hope in heaven. We know our Savior. We know God and we know each other. And it, the church is just a little piece of heaven. It's just the best thing in the world. You know, I, I got to move on. Um, so let's see. Number four. We are called to the same vocation as Jesus was called to. And we're going to get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts here a little bit. But Matthew chapter 6 is in the context of the book of Matthew. Actually, turn, turn in your Bibles to Matthew, and you will see that Matthew chapter 6 is part of one of the greatest sermons ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to find it in my ESV Bible here, Matthew chapter 5. It starts famously with the verses, seeing the crowds, Matthew 5, 1, 
he, Jesus, went on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he's speaking to his disciples primarily, but also to the crowd, and also to those in the crowd who are followers of him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. But what is the context of the Sermon on the Mount? If you just go back a few verses to Matthew 4 and verse 19, Jesus says, as he calls his disciples, follow me. Guys, you're to follow me. you got to become a disciple of me. And then he tells them what his agenda for them is. And what's the agenda? Read the rest of the verse. And I will make you fishers of men. Jesus came, Luke 19.10, to seek and save the lost. Jesus came as a fisher of men to bring glory to his Father and to die and rise again so that men could be saved. He came seeking men and women and children with a message of the good news of the kingdom of God. And to be a follower of him means that we become fishers of men. That's our vocation. As Jesus brought glory to his father by being a fisher of men, so we too, as the church and as individuals, our primary vocation, it's not the only thing that we do, but it's what we're trained to do and notice Matthew 4, 19. How does Jesus typify? Follow me and I will make you happy in your local church. Follow me and you get to sing the songs you like at your local church. Follow me and you won't have to do Zoom church. Follow. Uh, wow, that was just a little too pointed, wasn't it? You know what I tell my students in, in Liberia? And um, actually, while I've been with TLI, I've been to India and Liberia and Uganda and Tanzania. I tell them, I hate generalities. I say that all the time because I'm trying to teach them how to preach and teach them that they have to apply the text to the lives of those in their church. And so if you just give these vague, you know, you just have to love everybody. Yeah, that makes you feel good, but yeah, doesn't, doesn't do much for you, frankly. But when I say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, and, and I cut the legs out of some of these American, you know how we are as Americans, we want everything our way and it's gotta be convenient and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, 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 no. If we do church on Zoom and that's the way we, we I mean, big deal. I, I just think this is wonderful. I mean, this is just a little piece of heaven. The spirit of God can, anyway, so, that's Matthew. Let's look at the Gospel of Mark. Turn to Mark chapter um, 1 and verse 17. Beginning of his ministry again, what does Jesus say? Mark 1, 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So he says it in Matthew. He says it in Mark. I wonder if he says it in Luke. Look at Luke chapter 5, you know. He's called his disciples, and they're on the shore, and he tells them to put the net on the other side, and um, they get all afraid. Department me, we're sinful men. By the way, that's a very intelligent and spiritual and heartfelt way to respond to who Christ is. Dude, we have a glimpse of who you are, and it's making me look at myself, and I'm pretty sinful, and I'm very uncomfortable being around God. So, and you know what Jesus says? Verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching 
men. The book of John. Turn to chapter 20. The whole thing's over. Well, it's not, the whole thing's not over, but I think you know what I mean. John chapter 20, verse 21. Shows himself to his disciples. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus to seek and to save in the lost. The Father sent Jesus to suffer on this earth and to live a difficult life. Yes, filled with joys, but filled with sorrow. And at the end, they all abandoned him and he died. And that's what he calls us to do. Make no mistake about it. He calls us to die to ourselves and to live for him. That's what Christ does. That's what he calls us to do. At the end of John chapter 20, that's what he told his disciples to do. And then the book of Acts chapter 1. It's also at the end of Luke 24, by the way, but at the end of the book of Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 1, I'll read it, verse 6. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, um, could you tell us about the dispensations and uh, the timeline and the tribute? Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Just as Jesus began his ministry in the power of the spirit, the spirit came upon him as his baptism. So too, he gave us the spirit so we can be witnesses and we can become fishers of men. We're called to the same vocation as Jesus. Number five, make no mistake. It's warfare. We're at war. Your church gets several hours a week to train you and influence you. And we watch the television and we watch other entertainment media. We're on our phones, we're on our computers for hours and hours and hours every single week. And those are in competition. The news media, Fox, whatever you're watching, CNN, Google, none of those wants you to give away your life to fish for men to the glory of God. That is not their agenda. Their agenda is not to glorify God. And so I think we have to be careful what we, what we fill our minds with and the things that we're training ourselves. You know, you watch those American Express commercials. You know, you deserve, you deserve. No, God has so designed you and saved you so that when you are fishing for men and sharing the gospel, it gives you great joy. You want joy beyond what any, any credit card or job or money or girl or guy, you want, you want the greatest joy? Begin sharing the gospel with people. You want joy? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, but I, I ride uh, a bicycle. I ride with Bicycle Club, but I also go to the gym. The last six months have been difficult because we couldn't go, but I've started to go back to the gym a little bit. But my wife will tell you, um, when I come back from the gym and I've had an opportunity 
to sit by someone who's on the exercise bike or lifting weights, whatever we're doing, and I get a chance to share at least a part of the gospel or some of the gospel, I just come home happy. I just come home happy. Um, you know, the statistics are, are quite overwhelming. George Barna says that 90% of those who self-identify as Christians will never once in their whole life share the gospel with a non-believer. That's a frightening statistic. It's absolutely frightening. Um, it's work, it's war. The enemy does not want, any, want us sharing our faith. The enemy does not want us glorifying God. And one of the most glorifying God things you can do is tell other people what a wonderful thing it is to follow Jesus. That their best life can be now. <laughs> and the best life we can have is a life of knowing the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and telling other people about it. That's why he sent us his spirit. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's why he gave us the Sermon on the Mount. To understand the lifestyle, the mindset, the heart set of those who wish to be fishers of men. And that's the way the Sermon on the Mount must be read. It must be read in the context of Matthew 4.19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Number six, foundational. Spiritual birth. If you've come to know Christ as your Savior, if you have repented and turned, if, if, if you love him more than life itself, if you love him and you hate your sin, then that spiritual birth that has come to you by the power of the Holy Spirit will cause you to pray. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Let me read this for you. And I'll start with verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as adoption, of adoption, as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The new birth, the spiritual birth that came to us by the word preached, as we understood the word of God and the spirit of God caused us, regenerated us and caused us to understand that word and to want God is the same spirit that works in our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father. So spiritual birth causes us to pray. Think about this. Christ died praying Prayer is everywhere in the Bible. Those who know God pray. Daniel prayed. Moses prayed. Elijah prayed. Jeremiah prayed. The people of God prayed. Nehemiah, Ezra. Everywhere you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people are praying. Look in the book of Acts. Read those chapters. God's people pray. That's just what we do. Unfortunately, I believe we have been taught to pray either 
by direct teaching or mostly by hearing. We learn to pray by listening to others pray, but many times we have been taught wrongly how to pray. But right here, as Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right at the heart of this sermon, Jesus says, this is how you pray. This is how you pray. Spiritual birth, those who follow Christ, disciples of Christ, that's just what they do. They pray. And number seven. Turn to John chapter 15. This builds on some of the other things that I have said, hopefully have proved to you. John chapter 15. Let me read beginning with verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Remain in me. Live in me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So you, we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in Christ. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Let's keep reading. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So we're going to put the pieces together. So apart from Christ, you can't do anything. Okay? Nothing will be accomplished. Nothing. Zero. You might think you're accomplishing something, but you're accomplishing nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, Christ said that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada. Zero. So, as a Christian, there needs to be an abiding with Christ so that you can do something. And what does he say? Look at the text. If you abide in me, Verse 7, and my words abide in you. So to abide in Christ means you abide in this. This is the Bible. These are the words of Christ. The Spirit has mediated for us and given us the words of Christ. These are the words of Christ. Compare Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So what happens is the Spirit of God regenerates us. He uses the Word of God. We see the light. We're transformed. We become Christians. We are, First uh, Peter chapter 2, we are brought forth by the Word of Truth. And then it is the Word of Truth, the Word of Christ, that we abide in as we live the Christian life so that we can bear fruit. The bearing of the fruit of the word, the preached and spoken word, or the read word, by the power of the Spirit, it, what, what brings us into the Christian life, and then this word of Christ, 
by the ministry of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is what works in our life so that we abide in him and we can bear fruit. I hope you followed that. That's a lot to digest. But additionally, what does he say in John chapter 15? Apart from him, we can do nothing. We get that. What else does he say here? There's another component to this. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, if you read my words, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you read the word of God in the right kinds of way to be changed, to be actually in shock and awe of what God has said by the power of the Spirit, his words abide, remain. You live in the word of God. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Therefore, what are you going to ask? Your primary vocation is a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. You'll become fishers of men. You're, you're, you need to bear fruit. So how are you going to bear fruit? You're going to bear fruit as you abide in the word. You listen to preaching. You're in Bible studies. You, you read the word yourself. You sit before the word of God, and the words of Christ abide in you, and you are abiding in him. And supernatural things happen in the depths of your heart and in your mind as the word of God transforms you, and then you begin to ask. And what do you ask for? You ask for the things that Christ would ask for. You're living his life. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm not living, but Christ is living in me. And the life that I live now, I, I, I live by faith in the Son of God. So the Word of God has enfolded your life. Christ has enfolded your life. And you pray. You pray. And it will be done for you. Do you follow? I hope we get these things all in sequence here. Without prayer, you can't fight. That's number seven. Without prayer, you can do nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. You must bathe yourself in the word of God. You must pray that the Holy Spirit would cause you to be constantly amazed at the word of God. And by the way, you're think, some of you might be thinking, I hope not, but you're thinking, well, the Bible's kind of boring to me. Wow, you need to repent, confess that as sin, um, the Bible's not boring. It's the most exciting book ever written. It is fabulous. Remember 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. If you're reading the Bible and you're bored, you're not doing it to the glory of God. So you need to, you need to repent. And you need to say to God, God, this is Psalm 119. It says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. You're just reading it wrongly. Just say, Lord, I confess to you, this thing is boring to me and I don't want to read it, and that's sin, okay? And so please forgive me and show me wonderful things from your law. I, I, I've heard these things all my life. I've heard them so many times. They have lost the proper fascination, and it's, it's not spectacular to me, and it should be, and that's just wrong. So show me my sinfulness. Show me the glory of Christ. Show me how wonderful this is because I want to live for your glory. And you have called me to be a fisher of men. And how can I be a fisher of men 
unless I'm just not absolutely just in awe of who you are and what you've said in your word. I, I won't be a proper fisher of men. And by the way, that's why the Sermon on the Mount begins with Beatitudes. You know, uh, uh, tur turn there to uh, Matthew 5. I have no idea when I'm supposed to stop. I do have a watch here, but my mother never taught me how to read it, so I don't know what it means. But <laughs> so I'm going to guess. Um, please stay muted. Um, the Sermon on the Mount. Look at this. Matthew chapter 5. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying to them is, when you understand how wicked and, and impoverished you are spiritually and how much you need Christ, that, that is the, the only way to begin to be a fisher of men. If you want to be a fisher of men, that's why I began the way I did. You, you've got to understand that God saved you. And that's the most spectacular thing in the universe, that God would save Bob Burris. I... I, just, I hope I never get over it. And then, blessed are, the, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So you not only mourn over your own sin, but you begin to mourn over others' sin. You know how you can tell if you've gotten the first beatitude correctly? If when you see others' sin, you're not pointing the finger, you're mourning. Boy, is that convicting. You know, someone else messes up, a politician messes up, or somebody, the pastor, your pastor doesn't mess up, but, um, you know, your wife or your husband, if, if your first reaction is not sorrow, you need to go back to the first beatitude, because you're not getting anywhere. You won't be a help to anyone unless you've learned how to mourn over yourself. Only then do you get to third beatitude, which is meekness. Only then can you properly be the fisher of men you need to be. That is the way to understand the Sermon on the Mount. This is a manual for being a fisher of men. So you must abide in Christ. You must abide in the word. You must learn to read the word and be in awe of it and ask the spirit of God to open your eyes to see it. And then apart from him, you can do nothing and you must pray. I'm going to put some of the pieces together. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And you'll see this everywhere if you have eyes to see it. You know, we got all these um, weapons of warfare. You know, the sword of the spirit. Uh, shod your feet with the preparation of gospel peace. Um, we got verse 10, be strong in the Lord, stand against the schemes of the devil. We wrestle, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, rulers, powers. Now, let's, let's go with verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. This is Ephesians 6, 17. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That number 18 there should not be there. It's not there in the original language. Neither is the comma. You take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you pray in the Spirit at all times. To pray in the Spirit means that you pray with the sword. You pray with your sword. And notice, let's keep reading. With all prayer and supplication, to the end, keep alert. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for the saints, and also for me, 
that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. So the warfare that we're in, we put on our armor and we begin to pray in the spirit. And what do we pray? We pray the word of God. I'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. But praying the Bible is warfare. It will solve your problems with prayer. <laughs> it will solve the problems of mostly praying for health issues. It will solve the problems of sharing, 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 and then four minutes of praying. It solves, it solves all kinds of issues. I have, uh, I have to tell you a story. We, I, I um, spoke at a um, high school camp several weeks ago, like first part of July, I believe. Maybe it was August. I'm kind of confused. It was the first part of August, yes. So for four nights, I spoke at this high school camp for an hour on prayer. And um, praise God, I talked to the youth pastor. I asked him several times. High school kids are sitting down on their high school night when, when they get together, and they're praying for half an hour. And they're praying the Bible. They open the Bible and they pray down through the Bible. These are high school kids. I am just, I have just been blown away by the stories he's telling me about these kids. And so let me exhort you. Pray the Bible, pray the Bible, pray the Bible. I'm, gonna, I'm going to model it for you as I close this morning. I'm going to model it for you, hopefully, as these weeks, the next three weeks go by but pray the Bible. It solves all kinds of problems in praying. It solves the problem of only being, pray, being able to pray for three minutes at a time. It solves the boring problem. If 16-year-old if boys and girls can sit down and pray the Bible, wow. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it has transformed my prayer life. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. But you have to remember that we live for the glory of God. That's what the universe is about, that he has called us to be followers of him, which means we're fishers of men. That spiritual birth causes us to pray that the primary way that God brings glory to himself is through Jesus Christ and his cross and the proclamation of that cross. That it is war the enemy does not want you praying because he knows that apart from prayer, you can do nothing, zip, nothing, 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 that you must read the word and pray and then be obedient to that word. But the enemy knows that. He knows that we are called into the same vocation of Christ to seek and to save the lost. And so what I want to do right now is pray for you and um, I learned, we went to China together, actually, years ago with some of you. And um, we, we prayed with our eyes open. <laughs> and so I'm going to encourage you just to pray with your eyes open. And I want you to turn to Philippians, because I'm going to model for you as I close. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, there we go. And I'm going to start praying from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. I don't know where I'll stop, um, but the Bible's going to guide me as I pray.
and uh, you may have some questions. We'll talk more about it next week and as we look at the Lord's model prayer in Matthew chapter six, but let's pray together. Oh, Father, we, um, we ask that we who know you and love you and have been, have been changed by the gospel of Christ, that we would live lives that as others look at us, and especially as you look at us, that you would say, wow, those are my people. <laughs> they're, they're living like they're supposed to live. They're sacrificing and suffering and doing warfare, just like my son. Um, so, Father, may it be that the day when we see you, that you would be pleased. That we would do this side by side. That we would, we, would, we would let the word of God dwell in us richly together as we study and as we listen to preaching. That we would strive side by side in our praying. That we would strive side by side as we share our faith. And Father, and this is from verse 28, Help us not to be afraid of men. Um, they're going to try to make us sound stupid. and They're going to look at us like we're from the dark ages. But um, Father, help us to see that as a clear sign that we belong to you. And then from verse 29, and Father, we ask that that you would help us to understand that this difficulty that we're going through that it's a privilege that you have granted us for the sake of Christ to suffer for him, that there's a fellowship of suffering. Um, Paul talks about it in chapter three of this same, this same book. And that because father, because we share our faith and that you give us great joy and that if perhaps we should suffer, that we would suffer rightly and you'd be pleased with us and it would cause us to know you better. That we're engaged in the same warfare that you are engaged in. Um, and that Paul was engaged in and that the other saints in the Bible were engaged in. And so Father, encourage us in Christ. This is 2-1. Comfort us with your love. Send your spirit to us. May the word of God dwell in us and may your spirit be at work in us and help us to strive together. There, this is verse chapter two, verse two. Father, there's so many things that can divide us as Christians. We, I mean, this, this stupid COVID thing. Oh, I, I know it's not stupid. You have sent it for a reason, but it, it can divide us. Everybody seems to have an opinion. I got mine and my pastor has his and we don't agree, but I'm just doing what he says to do. So <laughs> I'm good with that. May we be good with that too, that we just put aside these petty differences sometimes that can divide us so that we're not striving side by side. Make us of the same mind. Help us to have the love of Christ. Um, help us not to be selfishly ambitious or conceited, but humble and look after each other's interests. So Father, I wanna give you thanks for the church in Lancaster, especially Trinity. 
and for the leaders and for the people that we love and know do a great work in their midst by the power of your spirit. And in Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen.